Hello, and welcome back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to be talking about one of those very seminal subjects that reaches into the hearts, souls, and minds of all of us, including our bodies, and that is the nature of our relationships. Well, in reality, everything is relationship. If you think about it, we are all related to our outside world, to our inside world, to our bodies, to each other. And so when we talk about relationships, it's really first in the broader sense of understanding that we are relative to everything. We have relatives and native peoples everywhere, indigenous people speak about to all our relations. That phrase that comes from any number of different indigenous Native American languages, at least, is uh, bigger than it appears. We think initially that it's our relatives, what we call our relatives, our, our mothers and our fathers and our siblings and our aunts and our uncles and our cousins and nephews and nieces. And yes, that's all our relations in part, um, but it's much, much bigger than that. It's literally our relation to the universe, to creation herself. That's really the larger picture of relationships. And when we look at it that way, we could see that we want to have a good, loving, respectful, respectful, filled relationship, actually further, a sacred relationship with everything. And when we have established that, we have also established one with ourselves. And I say to people all the time, you can start with yourself and learn to respect and love yourself, and then from that space reach outward, or if for whatever reason you're feeling challenged around that, you can start in the other direction, which is that you find uh, your love for nature or for other people or for the stars or for music or for the arts or an art it can be anything. It can be chess, a game, a dog, a cat. You know, wherever your heart inclines you to begin to develop this sensibility, if you will, this fine appreciation for something outside of you. And with that, you start building the experience of what we refer to as love. Now, are we going to take that on today? What is love? Oh, God, I guess I would have to say it is inherent in the conversation. So from that point of view, yes, the answer is yes. So what is love? Oh, I'm glad you asked. It's a good question. Love has so many different aspects so many different flavors, so many different nuances. It's true. It's true. 
and maybe it has something to do with who we are uh, and our personal relationship to the word and to the state, to the experience, subjectively and objectively. So not to get too abstract, let me ground it. Let's say that love is the stuff of respect. Love is the stuff of gratitude. Love is the relationship that we have when we are showing appreciation. Okay? I know we've all been smitten by the idea that love is what we see in the movies from Hollywood. You know, Clark Gable and all of the beautiful women and Bing Crosby and, you know, the list goes on of the uh, romance and the marriages and the affairs and all that. And we have this idea of what love is. Well, that's one, one form of love. It's a good one. Romantic love is something that has been with us for a long, long time and is very beautiful and is part of the courtship that goes on between people. It's a good thing. It's a good thing. There have been countless poems written about that sensibility, that feeling, that zets of emotion, that excitement, that polarity, um, emotional, physical, sexual, all of the above are just full of spring-like question about it. But I'm suggesting that love is really something much larger, much, much larger than that. Love is something that connects all beings. Some say the universe is actually made of love and brought, brought the universe forward. It is the basis of creation. All of these are really interesting thoughts and ideas and maybe are all true. And even if we can't somehow scientifically verify that, we can assume it we, because it's kind of really fun to assume that the universe is made of love, that that's the glue between things. It's what sticks things together one to the other. I mean, we could say it's just Elmer's glue, but that wouldn't be all that exciting. But if you say it's love, that ups the vibration. It changes the frequency, and we become excited. So I'm going to use that as the premise of everything because we have an imagination. Many of you who listen with any regularity know that I believe that uh, imagination is God's greatest gift to us. So dang, let's use it. That's right. Let's use it to our advantage. Individual, personal, social, and collective. So, you know, when I say relationship, we all know that what we really want to do is kind of zero in on that thing that involves romance, that involves connectedness 
two other people, maybe even one person in particular, maybe of the opposite sex, which is what I'm talking about today. I don't really feel qualified to bear down into particulars about same sex or the like, although the fundamentals are the same. It's love. Um, But I'm going to kind of delimit what I'm talking about, specifically looking at the yin-yang that shows up in the gender differentiation between male and female and the polar power, polar power that exists therein. So uh, with that said, what we see is that everyone has a wish to feel connected. We all wish to feel meaningful and connected. And I'm going to say that that's the basis of, well, everything. Mm -hmm. Yes, truly everything. Even if it's connection to God, whatever one's idea of God may be, that may be our best sense of what and version of what connection and connectedness could be to our sense of God or the divine. However, we can also see those qualities as we conceive them, perceive them, in another person. So when you look at what you may refer to as your beloved, you see the divine in them, in their eyes, in their face, in their expressions, in their hair, in their eyebrows, in their body, in their movement, all of the above, their voice, tone, all of it. How beautiful to bring that level to a personal relationship. Now, that person who can do that is already seeing God or the divine to some extent in all of life, in themselves, perhaps, certainly in what's outside themselves, and they bring that level of, I'll call it, emotional and spiritual intelligence into their connection with someone else. I mean, maybe it doesn't get more beautiful than that. Maybe, right? Now, the reality of our relationships are they are full of love, but they're also full of lots of other things, such as tension and stress and conflict. And how do we deal with those? Does that diminish the divine in them? I would say no, not at all. These conflicts, stress, and tensions are there to help us grow. And if our commitment in a relationship is to mutual growth, wow, (laughs) everything can be seen in that light. Rather than taking things personally or egoically, we see that we have come together in this holy union so that both parties and all their relations can grow, can develop, can evolve. 
That changes everything. So that means also by implication that whenever we are looking at anything <clears throat> from a larger context, that there is meaning in the looking, then we're not locked in like so many people are into the thing itself because the reason behind it the purpose behind it and the meaning behind it are all larger than the thing itself that that thing in this case a relationship a male female loving relationship courtship romance boyfriend and girlfriend possible marriage are all in service to this higher idea. So I want you to kind of capture, if you would, that notion, that structure, that here it is, I and thou, are within a context that we are here together to serve something, including ourselves, but larger than ourselves. And as soon as we do that, everything kind of falls into alignment. It's just the way it is. So interesting, and we can apply this structural phenomenon. It's essentially a mathematical one, the more that I think about it, um, to anything. To work, let's say someone is involved in what they ordinarily feel is meaningless work. It's very repetitive. It might be robotic. It may be seen uh, as very mechanical. But once it is thought of as part of a larger machinery, to continue the metaphor, part of a larger purpose, oh, yes, I have to move this widget from the left side to the right side in order to put in that screw of that tire and that wheel that gets onto a car and that car then gets sold and can be used as a vehicle to help transport people from point A to point B and that transportation will allow somebody's life to get saved because one of the people that can be transported is a doctor or a nurse or a social worker, or someone to help save someone's life on that level, or a mother to an ill child. And when that child sees the face of the mother, all of a sudden feels so relieved they are healed. Do you see? So as long as you're thinking that what you're doing is serving a higher and, let's say, noble purpose, Wow, it changes that widget activity from being mechanical to I'm part of something that's making a car that has the potential to drive somebody from point A to point B and help others. Wow. Now, I'm also suggesting in all of that that our fundamental biological purpose, no, no, not separated from our spiritual purpose is to be of service to other members of the species to keep us generating and 
procreating and loving so we can survive. Why? What's so big about survival, man, you could say? Well, ask God, ask nature, ask biology, everything. Everything's about survival. Because when you survive, you're in a position then to thrive. If you ain't surviving, you can't be thriving. It doesn't work. Very catchy um, phrase. But in fact, it's true. So if you look at the brain and the nervous system and all the systems of the body and the systems in the body in a context of things like food and water and shelter and other members of the species and other sentient beings, you see that the entire thrust of creation is to generate life. And in order to do it, we've been designed to help each other with it. Because if one person, say, you know, knocks off all the others, then the species will not thrive. But on the contrary, if each member of the species helps each other to grow and live and thrive, then we will all reproduce and keep the species going. And why is that important? Except that it's our program. That's why it's important. It's our program to survive and thrive. Therefore, you could say to create. Well, we use the phrase procreate to refer to a certain kind of creativity. <laughs> a sexual kind of creativity, which is a very fun kind of creativity. I think we'll all agree. <clears throat> so, having said that, we're starting to see a basis and getting little whispers of what might be behind creating a harmonious relationship so the two can get on with each other and do the things that are going to perpetuate the species and at least bring pleasure and joy to each other, which means that we're going to want to get along better and enjoy each other more, which means propagate more life, even just life begetting life, even short of creating a new being, life begets life. So what do we have that helps to support that? Well, one of the biggest things is oxytocin. So you could say that it's built in on a hormonal level that we love each other, because that love gives rise to oxytocin release. And that release begets more love and more of a sense of bonding, which means more connectedness. So you see how life begets life in this very material, concrete way. And whether it starts with our wish, our imagination, to love more, so we can have the pleasure of that love, the more we do that on any level and any interpretation of love, we're begetting more hormonal release of oxytocin. We get a commensurate reduction in cortisol into the blood. We get an uptake up of our uh, genetic flow of... Re- hormone and chemical release 
on other levels, such as the endorphins, that will, <clears throat> this genetic expression, brings us to a place of greater elation, of feeling good again, of, as I said, endorphin release, which are essentially morphine compounds that are endogenous in our own neuroreceptor sites that get tickled, catalyzed, excited when we take certain actions that enhance their release. By the way, some of those actions are exercise, movement, motion, running, playing. That's right. There is a psychobiological correlate in all of this, a biophysical correlate. So interesting. So our mind, say, let's just say, initiates a relationship with another person, a courtship, if you will. And that dance begins to activate certain hormones we will refer to as libido-like um, and it, relate, it also excites other hormones that might have to do with intellectual and emotional stimulation, all of which added up you could call as a spiritual enterprise. Yep, you could say that. You could call it that. That's fun. So this is like a dance of the hormones. It's a dance of chemistry. It's a dance of excitement inside one. And one brings this to the party of love. It brings it to the party of relationship. Well, how come relationships just aren't always singing and dancing and playing and frolicking and all of that? What is it that starts to challenge them? Oh, my God. Well, let's not even get started. It's so many things. And it could be pretty much anything. People experience different types of moods certain people's languaging disturbs and annoys others no matter what they do there becomes the chemistry not just inside one but as it mixes intermixes and intermingles with others and before you know it things can get explosive but it's interesting because if you look at the world today and you see how explosive it is and you see the choices that are being made that are just not loving. For instance, what's going on in the United States at the Mexican border? There's very little love going on there. <clears throat> there's a lot of animosity. There's hatred. There's bias. There's prejudice. Or in what's going on in the body politic all over the world, globally, it looks like people are just fighting everywhere, in Yemen, with Iran, in Syria, in Iraq, uh, you know, nuclear standoffs, in India and Pakistan, I mean, in Somalia, wherever you look, almost anywhere you look. What happened in the beautiful New Zealand recently with that intense, horrible shootout just a few weeks ago in what is considered one of the most well balanced, well-adjusted, rational, sane, adult, mature countries in the world. The envy of so many. 
even there was this absolutely horrible shootout. Where is it safe? Geographically, maybe nowhere. Internally, we have to create safety, and then we create safety among each other and in our relationships, which in the name of this dialogue, I've referred to as the sacredness of loving relationships. And I want to say this, if we can honor each other in loving relationships that are respectful, that are honoring gratitude, and love, and appreciation, each for the other, always mutual, I'm saying that strong basis of love, of appreciation, of respect, of, of sacredness, spills out, it effervesces, it emanates, to all corners of our world and in through the different rungs of society, social, economic, political, everything, through the cornfields, no less, it shifts the energy field of the planet, are getting along, and they have an intention to get along, and they feel that they're getting along and cooperating and loving and appreciating and expressing gratitude and respect for each other is actually going to have a valuable expression and and effect in the world, it becomes all the juicier and all the more meritorious. And if our relationships are held sacred, then I believe this is my... This is my opinion. I believe that a world at war would cease to be. I'll say that again. If enough of us were to be in loving relationships, holding them as sacred, including our relationship to nature and our relationship to the planet herself, and recognize the ecosystem as sacred and each other as such. The amount of war and harm to the earth and to each other would dramatically decrease. There's a direct relationship the war and conflict and strife we experience in our most important relationships, whether it's boyfriend-girlfriend or husband and wife or our children, that's where our outer expression through business, through politics, through sport, through arts, everything gets channeled. Now, there are certain places where it has made beautiful music, you know. It's not sort of like all bad. It's all learning for everyone. But how much do we have to go through in order to learn our lessons? That's kind of what I'm, 
I'm posing here as well for consideration. So if we can become more loving humans, we can shift the entire nature of what it is that's going on today through the morphogenetic field. Our love has an overall qualitative vibrational quality. Now this this isn't just, you know, pie in the sky. This is not just a bunch of interesting ideas or simply esoteric wisdom even, although it may seem a bit esoteric. The reality of morphogenetic fields is real and how we fill them is also real. So what can I say? If we infuse our environment with respect, meaning, and love, it will carry through. I know I sound like an old hippie. Well, I am. (laughs) I don't like to think of myself as old, but I'm certainly still a hippie. (laughs) And that doesn't mean long hair, because that's not it. I'm being funny. I mean values that are humane, ecologically sensitive, and deeply in love with life. Those are the fundamental values. Integrity, compassion, these are the values that came through uh, our society among the younger generations in the 1960s and 70s and in some ways has continued through. Some of us never dropped those values. Oh, we cut our hair. We kind of cleaned up. We changed the way uh, we do things. Yep, yep, that happens. It's called growing up. But fundamental principles and values that many of us were raised with back then are intact. And as far as I'm concerned, They will remain intact for the duration and beyond because they should be intact, because they're good, because they serve the larger good. They serve the commons, as it's said. So, this is important. Because if we can see on the microcosmic level that our ability to have and sustain loving relationships in those closest to hand are able to be harmonized and harmonious like a fine piece of music, then the effect outside of ourselves, so to speak, is commensurately affected. And people will not want to go to war. They will not want to harm the earth. They will not want to harm any creature. They will be harmonized, unified, and importance of relationships. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't do what we need to do to survive. Survival is the key code, if you will. It's the fundamental 
um, program on top of which everything else exists. So if people have to take the life of an animal to survive the way the Native American people did with oxen and buffalo and the like, then that is something that happens. And even that, we've been told, can be done with love. Even think about it. Picking a melon off a bush is representing a level of murder, if you want to think about it, of killing, to serve what we consider a higher complex organism on the food chain. We certainly like to think of ourselves as such. So it's all in the eyes of the beholder. Some say the more complex the creature, that's where you back off this kind of thinking. Well, that has its own legitimacy and value structure connected to it. And that's fine and dandy also. But we have to recognize that there is a relationship between creation and destruction. No matter where we go, those two are always conjoined. And a lot of the ancient teachings let us know that. There is a cycle of creation and there's a cycle of destruction. Everything that's made dies. It's inherent in the system. It's intrinsic. So we shouldn't be surprised. We need to know that that's the case. And it's not a bad thing. It's just a thing. And we need to abide by the laws of nature. Because that's really governs everything. And to the extent that we can be in alignment with that, to that extent, we can create a happier, more joyful planet. So again, what goes on between man and woman is what goes on everywhere. If you look at what goes on in the what are called the halls of power, how can people really perpetuate such aggression and violence if they're at peace in their own heart, in their own home, near their own hearth? I'm suggesting they really can't. There really is a through line. There is a developed sensitivity, a developed sense of awareness and appreciation of life itself. And it is guarded and it is cared for and it is respected. So if a life needs to be taken or if someone is in pain that is irreversible, or they're aged and suffering from a horrible disease about which nothing can be done. And euthanasia, for instance, is engaged. We can recognize that that is simply the way life goes. This is the end stage of it before, let's say, a new birth occurs because it's all cyclical. In our society, of course, we have a judgment about this kind of thing. But there are ways of preserving peace.
peace, all sentient life, while also recognizing that death and decay occur. And not to judge them, but to be free of that judgment and allow things to go by the way of the Tao, if you will, to proceed naturally. And if we can participate in creating healthy, happy, loving relationships and using our wisdom to do so, and by the way, using the wisdom of ancient Taoists ancient Indian and ancient Native American Indian practices for bringing people even closer together and to uh, extol the virtue of joy and pleasure in each other's partner and also to uplift and elevate the role of chi, that is of life force itself, circulating through the way the Chinese would describe it, the meridians and in the Indian way the chakras and the nadis well gee here we are using love and we're using sexual practices as a way of developing more love and even more life isn't that interesting that which gives rise to life sperm and egg can also be used to build more life inside oneself. And these are ancient practices that have been with us forever and when used wisely can bring insane pleasure to each other's partner. And what's better in one's sex life than pleasuring one's partner? It's just it's inherent and it shows the oneness from which we all come and where we can live. And with that attitude, well, miracles happen. And uh, when we approach everything this way, with this kind of attitude, it just changes everything. So if we want an answer, a solution to the aggressiveness, to the violence, to the madness, to the insanity, of people hurting each other, of warring against each other, of heavily competing with each other so that it becomes life and death scenarios and the like. Well, in reality, go home, be with your family, court that man or woman, (laughs) have a great time, and realize that you can be, through your love, through your relationship, help to create a solution to the issues we are facing as a collective and literally jeopardizing our existence. And we have the sixth extinction literally breathing down our necks because people don't get along. They don't get along with their spouse. They don't get along with their boyfriend and their girlfriend. They don't get along with their boss. They don't get along with their family members. And one has to bring oneself to the point of appreciation and love and respect. It doesn't mean you have to be with them all all the time. Not at all. You don't even have to be close. Honor. Honor. It's biblical. So let's try that. There are some people who are just not going to get along. 
They can be blood relatives. They could be neighbors. They could be lovers. They're not going to get along, but they can still show respect, courtesy, and love. They can show compassion. It can be done from distance and from afar or near, upfront, and personal. Those are your decisions. But I hope you're with me and can digest and metabolize these thoughts and ideas. They show the relationship of what we have as our closest human relationships and our closest relationship with other leggeds, if you will, and the plant world and Earth herself, Mother Nature, the creation itself, and how that shows up in the macro universe of how we behave and the choices we make to either create and support and sustain life or to destroy it. Which side of that fence do we want to be on? And not black and white, nothing's absolute, everything is relative. How much of one do you want to be on and how much of the other? That's the true realistic perspective. Nobody is going to be all life-giving just doesn't happen. Our anger, our uh, resentments, our jealousies, our negative emotions are toxifying, and we're all subject to them. So what is the trick? Not not experiencing them at all, but perhaps to experience them fully so we can then release them. Let it go. Let it be. Let it course through you like an energy and kiss it goodbye with love. So it goes. This is part of the human experience, a large part of the human experience. And our ability to deal with negative emotions inside ourselves and inside our family and inside our community is what will give rise to, shall I say, a better world. So, my dear friends, I hope that can shed some light on things for you. And if you have any questions or comments, agreements, alignments, or disagreements and misalignments on the subject that I was speaking on today, please share them with me at my email address, mjrabetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. All of this is controversial. I know that. And I invite your thoughts and comments. So feel free to be in touch with me. You can write to me also, uh, I guess, on Facebook or Twitter and follow us there as well. Uh, And if it could be of any value to you to have your own personal or couples or family counseling, you can contact me also at that same email address or at 212-420-0800. That's 212-420-0800 and set up uh, an appointment. And you can do that too as well as use my biofeedback and stress management services that are available as well. So I want to just thank you all for listening Remember, we are a 501c3, a nonprofit organization, and to whatever extent you can extend to us contributions, they are so appreciated. 
They help us sustain and thrive on the air. <clears throat> we reach places across the world. It's such a pleasure knowing that we have people as far away as Taiwan and India and the Philippines, as well as Mexico, South Africa, United Kingdom, France, Germany, and elsewhere tuning in to a better world. In other words, be part of the solution. Be part of creative thinking because that's what we do here. Also make note that we always need interns for administration, for video editing, for graphics, for PR and public relations, for SEO, for uh, social uh, media work. So please contact me again at mjr at abetterworld.net. The good thing is that we live in a global village these days, so while some of that is good for New Yorkers, it's also good, and I can take people on from anywhere to do this work long distance because we're so connected through the Internet. So one other reminder, I've done a couple of shows on this, um, and there will be more that I'm actually being interviewed on. Um, that is the April 21st event, Earth Day and World Peace Day, here in New York City in the Big Apple from 3 to about 7.30, sponsored by Andrew Kane. I am the host and MC. It's surely going to be a wonderful time for one and all. Lots of music in the light band with Dr. Rona Allen and some other extraordinary musicians jazz musicians mainly, and Ceremony and Fabienne Cousteau, who was on our airwaves just two weeks ago. Oh, wow. Lots of good, fun stuff. So please join us. Go to planetheart.org for more information about that. Planetheart.org. And I look forward to seeing you next week and seeing you there. This is Mitchell J. Rabin for A Better World, and I look forward to seeing you next week.